Welcome to the From Daily Podcast, where I give you a little bit of Eric From and some encouragement on your personal growth journey every day. I'm your host, Lacey Delane, and I am super happy to have you for another episode of From Daily. Welcome. Hope you all are well. Yesterday, we talked about some of the differences in the character of the societies that existed before the onset of agriculture and then those of modern society. Today, we're going to continue on that theme, and we're going to learn the why behind us coming to see each other as means to an end. I'll also share more about what I've learned about healthy decision-making, and on Friday, I'll give you the number one tool I have learned to use to utilize when I am having a hard time making a big decision. Sometimes I use it for small decisions too, but it's very, very helpful in making a big decision. All right, so I'm going to be reading to you um, again today from Fromm's book, The Anatomy of Human Destructiveness. All right, so Fromm says, a new kind of society developed in the fourth and third millennia BC, which can best be characterized in Mumford's brilliant formulation. All right, uh, this is really good. This is going to be a little uh, meaty here. So stay with me, uh, but it's all very good. So it's worth it. Okay, Mumford wrote, out of the early Neolithic complex, a different kind of social organization arose. No longer dispersed in small units, but unified in a large one. No longer democratic, that is based on neighborly intimacy, customary usage and consent, but now authoritarian, centrally directed under the control of a dominant minority. Again, he's comparing urban revolution, um, uh, what society, social organization is like after um, the urban revolution and compared to what it was like before the urban revolution. No longer confined to a limited territory, but deliberately going out of bounds to seize raw materials and enslave helpless men, to exercise control, to exact tribute. This new culture was dedicated not just to the enhancement of life, but to the expansion of collective power. By perfecting new instruments of coercion, the rulers of this society had organized industrial and military power on a scale that was never to be surpassed until our own time. So Mumford here is comparing the differences between what society and social organization was like before the urban revolution um, and after. And he points out that it becomes much more um, controlled, bureaucratic, less connected with other with the other people within the society. Um, and power becomes much more important. So Fromm goes on to say, well, how had this happened? Within a short period, historically speaking, man learned to harness the physical energy of oxen and the energy of winds. He invented the plow, the wheeled cart, the sailboat. He discovered the chemical processes involved in the smelting of copper ores and the physical properties of metals, and he began to work out a solar calendar. As a consequence, the way was prepared for the art of writing and standards and measures. In no period of the history till the days of Galileo was progress in knowledge so rapid or far-reaching. 
uh, or far-reaching discoveries so frequent. That was Ch Child, I think, or Child, C-H-I-L-D-E, in 1936. Frome says, but social change was not less revolutionary. The small villages of self-sufficient farmers were transformed into populous cities, nourished by secondary industries and foreign trade. And these new cities were organized as city-states. Man literally created new land, Frome says. So we went from these small um, nomadic groups of people to these larger um, towns, I guess you could call it in modern day uh, vernacular. Uh, and these became um, industrial, um, trade became important, moving, the moving from one place to another um, was different, but it was more important, I would say. Well, maybe not more important, but definitely um, different and with different purposes as it was for the more nomadic tribes. Okay, Fromm goes on to say, another result of this process was that a specialized labor force had to be used for this kind of work. When he says this kind of work, he's talking about um, being able to harvest the food um, and for cultivating the land necessary to grow food for those others who were specialized in crafts, public works, and trade. So basically he's saying, once this all changed like this, there had to be a separate group of people whose job or whose work it was to cultivate the land, to grow the food, to distribute the food or sell the food, because there were other people who were not working with food. They were working in crafts or public works or trade. From goes on to say they had to be organized by the community and directed by an elite, which did the planning, protecting and controlling this means that a much greater accumulation of surplus was needed than in the earlier Neolithic villages, and that this surplus was not just used as food reserve for times of need or growing population, but as capital to be used for an expanding production. Child or Child has pointed out, has pointed to another factor inherent in these conditions of life in the river valleys, the exceptional power of the society to coerce its members. Wow, that sounds like modern society. So much of what we do nowadays, so much of um, what happens is actually coercion. We don't actually um, actively choose. It's um, ads and social media hypnotizing us to do certain things. The community could refuse a recal recalcitrant member access to water by closing the channels leading to his field. This possibility of coercion was one of the foundations upon which the power of kings, priests, and the dominant elite rested once they had succeeded in replacing or representing the social will. Hmm. Um, and so Fromm is continuing here to say that the new forms, with this new form of production, one of the most decisive changes in the history of man took place. And this is really the point and what I really want to share in the episode today. He says his product was no longer limited to what he could produce by his own work, as had been in the case in hunting societies and early agriculture. Um, he says it is true that with the beginning of the Neolithic agriculture, man had already been able to produce a small surplus, but this surplus had only helped to stabilize life. 
When, however, it grew, it could be used for an entirely new purpose. And he's saying that's what happened here. It, that surplus has grown and it became possible, Fromm says, to feed people who did not directly produce food, but cleared the marshes, built houses and cities and pyramids, or served as soldiers. Of course, such use could only take place when technique and division of labor had reached a degree which made it possible for human labor to be so employed. At this point, surplus grew immensely. The more fields were plowed, the more marshes were drained, the more sur surplus could be produced. And what did this cause humans to realize? Fromm says, this new possibility led to one of the most fundamental changes in human history. It was discovered that man can be used as an economic instrument, that he could be exploited, that he could be made a slave, that he could be made a means to an end. And Fromm would say, um, be made uh, as a means to another person's end. And Fromm uh, was adamant that the way that we self-actualize is by the complete opposite, not being a means to someone else's end, but doing things because um, doing things because we want to individually, authentically, as an end to, to themselves from the inside of who we are. Okay, um, let's see. I want to read this last part. He says, the basic economic facts of the new society were, as indicated above, greater specialization of work, which I think you see a lot of in modern society. The transformation of surplus into capital. Definitely you see a lot of that in this modern society that we're in now. And the need for a centralized mode of production. The first consequ consequence of this was the rise of different classes. Hmm. And the privileged classes did the directing and organizing, claiming and obtaining for themselves a disproportionately large part of the product. That is to say, a standard of living which the majority of the population could not obtain. Here we are right now, the haves and the have-nots. This is where it came from. Below them were the lower classes, peasants and artisans. Below those were the slaves, prisoners taken as a result of wars. The privileged classes organized their own hierarchy, headed originally by permanent chiefs who were the nominal heads of the whole system. So the idea here is how surplus became a large part of the reason why such a competitive um, society developed and also um, how this shift in how we were living shifted not only how we were living, but it shifted how we related to each other. Um, and as we can see, shifted to a more controlled, dominant um, type approach to life. Control, power, um, you know, bureaucracy, and all of the things that we absolutely love, right? <laughs> okay. So, uh, yes, I love from, I love what he's saying here. I think, although I know this was a lot of reading today, I think there's a lot historically that I think, um, really fits in well with, um, the why behind us being able to say society is sick. Okay. So this week we've been talking about decisions, decisions, decisions. They can be tough, can't they? 
especially big ones, they affect your whole life. Like they affect where you live, what your income is, how you feel, how you live on a day-to-day basis, what happens to your kids. Making big decisions can be overwhelming. And that's why I wanted to share some things that I have learned about decision-making since my work in therapy um, and since my process of learning and growing um, and becoming more self-aware. Yesterday, we talked about the importance of getting information. I called it accumulating data. Accumulating some data that can give you an objective look at what a decision in a certain direction might mean. The reality is that accumulating data or getting the information necessary to make the decision takes time. It takes time. That's something we are not used to in our fast-paced, instantly-finished-everything society. What I have found helpful is exercising the patience it takes to record the data, get the information I need to make the decision, and thinking on it in order to truly know what I want. Sometimes, well, a lot of times, I kind of look at it like this. If I'm I'm going to buy something more than $100 that costs more than $100, I at least sleep on it for one night. Um I never used to do that, uh, but I think this is just a little example of how when we make decisions, big decisions, sometimes they do and can take time. And I feel like the more willing we are to take the time we need to make the decision, the better the outcome can be. I also find that sometimes recording the information that I'm learning about what it might be like to make one decision or another into a journal can be super helpful in the process of observing the information and then being able to analyze it. So here's a quick example. Let's say you're single and dating and looking for a life partner. There are some things that you are not sure about regarding the person you are dating. Maybe they did something you were not sure you liked and you thought about breaking up with them or not seeing them anymore. Here's where the data accumulation comes in. You can ask yourself, do I know for sure that this isn't the person for me? Do I have enough information about them to know that they really aren't a good match? What do I need in order to know that? Most likely, the answer is more interaction to get to know them more, which we could say is getting more information. And that typically means more time. If you have doubt, then while gaining more information about the person and how you feel with them, you can list it in your journal where you are noting, accumulating, charting, if you will, the information. If you aren't sure it's enough of a reason to break up, then likely it's too soon. But what you can do is note and observe the behavior to see if it's repeating, if it's a pattern, if it happens again, and sit with it to see if it's something that really disagrees with you. Um, In which case, if it is, then maybe you do decide to break up or stop seeing them. But without the time necessary to see if it is, it's not really the most fruitful way to proceed. And you may have some type of regrets. So maybe best not to throw the baby out with the bathwater until you are sure that it's time to do so. I hope that is a helpful example and you can apply it to whatever situation you are in, dating or not. For now, I'll say goodbye. If you want more From content, check out 
fromdaily.com. That's from with two M's, F-R-O-M-M-D-A-I-L-Y dot C-O-M. To access our Friday episodes, become a paid subscriber of the From Daily Substack. Paid subscribers have access to our weekly personal growth support group hosted by yours truly, Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time Live. Weekly Substack chats, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, are open to free and paid subscribers alike. I hope your day brings you lots of new experiences from which to learn and grow, and you find the value in them. And regardless of where you are in your journey, I'm proud of you. You're in the process of growth, and that is what counts. Yeah. I'm Lacey Delane signing off. See you next time on the From Daily Podcast.